Thanks for pressing play on the Michael Welch podcast today. Touching base on Kevin Durant and his debut as a Phoenix Sun, Anthony Davis trying to make history and possible rule changes for college football. Touching on those subjects before heading towards March Madness next week. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Kevin Durant made his debut on Wednesday night with the Phoenix Suns in Charlotte against the Hornets. They were shorthanded with Lonzo Ball suffering a season-ending ankle injury on Monday night. Unfortunately, uh, Durant himself on a minutes restriction. The Suns have been shorthanded with him uh, being out with an injury since uh, early January, I believe it was. Um, of course, he was out for, for Brooklyn. Um and then been out for the Suns since the uh, since the trade. So the Suns have been playing shorthanded since they moved the pieces in order to acquire him there. Uh, Booker, Chris Paul, Aiden, and Josh Akogi were the starting lineup with uh, Durant in there. And the Suns now have three of the top six jump shooters of the past two seasons, along with uh, Joel Embiid, DeMar DeRozan, and Brandon Ingram on that list with Chris Paul, Durant, and Booker. So we'll see uh, one of the few teams in the uh, in the league that's going to hit a lot of those kind of mid-range jumpers. He took the first shot of the game for the Suns here, missed it. It was a pretty horrible shooting in the first couple minutes there to start, and the Suns led 9-0 after the first time out. But Kevin Durant had a nice block early, five points right off the bat, um, off of some poor defensive setups there by the, uh, by the Hornets, um, getting back in transition. And uh, he only played six minutes in the first quarter, but uh, did a great job. Looks great um, coming back off of his injury. And they do all these minute restrictions and for guys coming back. From the player's perspective, I certainly understand wanting to kind of get back into shape and not wanting to risk re-injury. Although sometimes I think that's a little overblown. And through the extended time off, they really should just be ready to step back on the court and play again. And for the fans, we have to adjust to not seeing a player that we enjoy for an extended stretch of games. And then when he does come back, sometimes even that's a little bit sketchy and tentative. Although in this case, Durant seemed to be really itching to get back. So he's returning on a road trip here. But uh, then they come back in limited capacity, and that's that's no fun either. And that's uh, that's a whole other discussion, I suppose, with too much load management and perhaps uh, nursing these injuries more than uh, than need be. But as it went, uh, Durant solid in his return. Uh, after he hit the bench in the first quarter there, the Hornets finally started generating some offense. They were down close to 20 points for a good chunk in the game, but they were able to hang around all the way up until the end there, although it never really seemed like uh, the Suns would let off the gas. 12 points on 5 of 8 shooting in the first 13 minutes in the first half for Kevin Durant, three boards, two good blocks. Really looked pretty good on both sides of the ball. Good playing time with Devin Booker, who finished the game 15 of 26 for 37 points, 7 assists and 6 rebounds. Excellent. That's what we want to see from him. Booker and Durant as the two main scoring outlets there. DeAndre Aiden was 7 of 10, 16 points, 16 rebounds. Very efficient there. The bench seems a little bit worrisome. Damian Lee, Cameron Payne, TJ Ward, Tory Craig, and Jock Lindale, the uh, reserve center there, um, received extended time. Well, I guess not too much extended, too much extended time in the long run, uh, but more time than they get in a, certainly a playoff rotation 
as Durant would play more time. But uh, not sure what the final rotation would be there come playoff time for sure. Adarius Baisley, who was uh, brought over as part of a trade package as well at the deadline, didn't play but could play moving forward. Um, he hasn't made his debut in a Suns uniform yet. He could play uh, four or five position. I assume he'd play center. Uh, they'll have just under 20 games to kind of sort through the rotations here in the minutes. Kevin Durant played uh, 26.50, I believe, so about 27 minutes. 10 for 15 overall, had a big surge in the fourth quarter where he scored nine straight at one point. He's getting to his mid-range spots there, just where he likes at the elbow, knocking down shots. Finished with 23 points, six rebounds, two blocks in about a dozen minutes fewer than he'd get probably in a, a prime game or a playoff run, playoff uh, typical game. Now, Chris Ball's role is going to be more of a table setter moving forward which is great because the shooting, some of the shooting issues were more apparent, certainly more apparent uh, the other night. One for eight from the field for two points, 11 assists. He's shooting just under 43% right now. That's second lowest of his career. Now he's averaging, let's see, fewest points in his 19 seasons as well. He's 37% from three, but uh, that's 1.6 makes per game. So that's a high percentage on a low volume. So that's not uh, not great there. But it's I know it, I know it was viewed as a Chris Paul, DeAndre Aiden, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, super quartet there from the uh, you know all the social media posts and so those who are casually watch basketball. But the more realistic piece to this is it's going to be Booker and Durant hitting the big shots. DeAndre Ayton sure is a uh, integral piece in the middle there on both sides of the ball. And um, you got to be kind of worried about their depth on the interior there, especially on the defensive side. The defense was really horrible uh, against the Hornets and allowing that team, especially without Lonzo Ball. And this could be the team with the worst record in the entire league. And they were still uh, putting up points here late into the game. But uh, it'll be more Chris Paul kind of setting setting the other uh, – two main scorers up, and hopefully DeAndre Aiden providing some efficient scoring uh, in the block as well. And again, figuring out the, the bench there and some of the defensive stuff. And uh, 19 games, I believe, left to play before the playoffs, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how everything kind of comes together. They won't have, you know, everything sorted, full minutes for Durant. Um, maybe he still sits out some games. But realistically, by the time we hit the playoffs... There might only be 10 games, 12 games that this team has really experimented and had complete performances with everyone healthy and um, kind of playing the rotations and stuff they want to see. So we could still see kind of a rusty team heading into the playoffs, rusty team coming together, I should say, heading into the playoffs. But it'll be very interesting to see how it is heading forward. But Kevin Durant looks good. Devin Booker Looks good. Chris Paul settling into a reduced scoring load role. Uh, Aiden looks efficient and uh, looks uh, just great. Durant looks pretty much like everything you'd hope to be when trading for him and like an integral piece of this team moving forward for a hopeful deep run into the NBA playoffs and a must-watch team night to night to see what they can produce moving forward. Let's transition now to College Hoops and Anthony Davis, 
who should break the NCAA all-time med scoring record as I'm recording this tonight. He's 27 points away in his career. He currently has 3,642. He's just behind Pete Maravich at 3,667. He's averaging over 28 points per game. Uh, Detroit Mercy has been struggling his entire career there. They're currently 14 and 18 this season after beating Purdue Fort Wayne uh, Fort uh, yes, Purdue Fort Wayne. There we go. In the Horizon League tournament on Tuesday, 81 to 68, he had 38 points, eight rebounds and eight assists. If they lose at any point uh, this season, his career could be over. And so will his opportunity be to add to that total and move into first place. So winning Monday and putting up the points that he did and moving on to Thursday have been a big deal. He's in his fifth year uh, after the extra COVID year and considered transferring this past season, including to a couple of different Power 5 programs, but ultimately decided to finish his playing career under his father as the head coach there at uh, Detroit Mercy. 18-19 um, season was his first year there, and he was known for his great uh, three-point shooting. Still is 584 made in his career. Good free throw shooter as well. 143 games played. And of course, as you look up and down the scoring records all time, number of games played, um, three-point line era, post and pre, uh, free throws, uh, all kinds of things will be looked at and as to whether or not this is a big deal to a lot of folks in the scoring era. But really, having a new person move into first place, regardless of how long it took, whether three-pointers were a piece of that or not, is still, I think, a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment. Uh, they do have to travel to Youngstown, Ohio, to play uh, the favorites to win the tournament and get the auto bid in Youngstown State. They're 23-8, and 15-5 overall. If Detroit Mercy doesn't win there and probably win the next two games to grab the auto bid and go to the NCAA tournament um, auto bid there. They are not good enough to make the NIT and probably not the basketball classic, which was formerly called the CIT. That's the other other postseason tournament, the third one, which is a step behind the NIT. Uh, that was canceled in 2020 and 2021. Fresno State was the winner last season when it was rebranded, relaunched, and started again for the first time since 2019. Uh, just a few notes on that for those who don't usually watch it, such as myself. I had to do some back research here. Uh, the Bulldogs last year entered at 13, 19 and 13. They were sixth in the Mountain West Conference, 8-9 overall conference play. That's how they uh, landed a uh, bid there. Coastal Carolina Chanticleers was the team that they beat in the finals. They were 16 and 13 and 8-8 eight and eight in conference play in the Sun Belt, seventh place to make the tournament. Detroit Mercy did participate last season at 14 and 15 overall. So they had a losing record last year and got an invite ultimately before getting crushed by Florida Gulf Coast in the opening round slash kind of the second round because of the weird structure they have there. 18 teams. So they have to have uh, two kind of playing games to cut the field down to 16 to make it nice, even numbers to advance from there. Uh, so they were in that kind of full first round after the initial playing games seven of the original 18 teams 
that were offered invitations made it in. Uh, 11 other teams either declined or withdrew before play actually began. So it's not, quite frankly, it's not a highly known about tournament to begin with or highly perceived. It hasn't been since it started running, I believe, in the early 2010s. Again, it's been rebranded and relaunched as of last season after two years off. Uh, I don't think Detroit Mercy was even a top pick last season uh, after 60% of the field basically was reselected. Um, one, they were one of four teams in that final 18-team field with losing records to participate. Point is, it's not a sure thing that they'd even make that again, and every game is very important to Detroit Mercy, both in trying to get that scoring record for Anthony Davis and trying to continue its season into postseason play. Now, all the tournament games are played on ESPN+. Plus. They're played on off nights from the NCAA tournament and NIT. So while those are being played on Tuesday, Thursday, or excuse me, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I believe these are more early week games, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's just not a highly publicize tournament certainly at all and these are teams that are i mean fresno state's a surprise to even be in there as kind of a second tier borderline third tier group of college basketball teams there in division one i mean last year's participants were appalachian state eastern washington kent state maryland eastern shore morgan state new orleans portland teams out of the uh Southland, Big Sky, Big South, Summit League, um, in addition to a little bit more known, partially because they play football in the Mountain West Conference USA Sun Belt. So we do have a lot of smaller teams and squads like Oakland, Samford, Sam Houston State declined uh, invitations while Wofford, Merrimack uh, did withdraw before entering their contests. So just another tournament to be aware of. And Detroit Mercy and Anthony Davis going for the all-time career points record holding title there on Thursday on ESPN Plus in a big game for that team. Let's talk college football rule changes that could go into effect as soon as this season. Of course, we're going to have a few things different with 2023 college basketball, starting with some of the conference realignments in a more serious shape going into effect. Every year, we've had uh, pretty much at least one Division I AA or FCS level school bump up a level here. Last year, it was James Madison in their first year, so we're used to that. And we've had a little bit of movement um, here and there with teams realigning. But this upcoming season, of course, we're going to have big shifts in the Big 12, in the American Conference and Conference USA to kind of make accommodations for teams moving around. In the next couple years, we will have a expanded playoff, and Texas and Oklahoma are looking to get out of their Big 12 deal early and move on to the SEC, and then UCLA and USC are furthest down the line that we know for sure is going to happen so far, and that may be three or four years out still. But right now, let's look at just some rule changes. Three out of four of the proposed rules that have come down the pike here uh, have strong support to go into effect. Um, safety and total num- reducing total number of plays that expose players to injury both over a weekly basis and over a season was some of the push for this for these rules. Um, games right now are averaging three hours and 27-ish minutes. 
about 180 plays in college, 154 in the NFL on average. So a lot of these are to reduce the time played and some of the plays in college football games. At least that's the guise that has been used by the NCAA, although every college football reporter has more or less stated that uh, it's really TV money, fitting in advertisements, fitting games into more realistic windows, even though everyone wants to fit uh, college football that has such high ratings into you know, 12 hour blocks or eight hour blocks, whatever their designated time is every Saturday. Uh, they want to fit more seamlessly into those windows for a more uh, smoother transition from game to game, fit those advertising dollars in. And in order to do that, they kind of want to slim the game down a bit. So this is what we're looking at right now. The first suggestion was a rule that would prevent teams from taking consecutive timeouts one after the other, such as when you see a team ice another's kicker for an end of the half, end of the game, whatever, field goal. Not a bad rule at all, it would appear. Certainly not one you'd miss in every single game. Certainly uh, we see extensions of of plays like this that seem to drag on and on just to see a, a field goal get kicked. And um, doesn't seem like a bad rule at all. Second one, not extending quarters. Uh, this is a rule that, again, will not be in effect very often. Uh, for first or third quarters, they would not be extended for an untimed down if the quarter ends on a defensive penalty. In this case, the down would be clocked in the next quarter. So if there's a defensive penalty at the end of the first quarter of the game, you don't play an untimed quarter, then go to a commercial break, then come back. Instead, you let the quarter end, go to your commercial break, come back, resume play, starting with that untimed down, I do believe. So not something you'd miss too much. It just tends to push off that commercial break, and I guess that's that's the assumption is it'll cut down some time. I'm having a hard time of wrapping my head around that one. Not something you'd miss in every single game or most games or even weekly on the college football slate. Just not that big of a deal. The next one uh, is a running clock. On this rule, a running clock would continue after an offense gains a first down, except on two minutes inside of a half. This is the NFL rule. The clock would not stop on a first down, except with two minutes to go in the half. That sounds good to me. That will certainly change the dynamics, at least a little bit initially, of how teams are moving, and certainly end of the game, end of the quarter situations, and trying to uh, score towards the end. But it's Again, we see it be executed in the NFL, and it'll be executed similarly in uh, college football. Something that diehards like myself watching will certainly notice, and that it seems like it would kind of flawlessly be integrated into your normal viewing experience after maybe a few weeks. I mean, we forget you can take a knee on punts when the ball's inside the 20-yard line and then start at the 20-yard line. It seems like that rule was just come up with two years ago now, and that's a regular part of the game that we don't even think about now. You don't have to return every single kick to have decent field position or respectable field position around the 20-yard line to start a drive. Seems reasonable enough to prevent injuries. In this particular case, it's to keep the clock running a little bit, take some plays out of the game, and to prevent injuries. I'm not in favor of just cutting plays to cut plays. Again, trying to shorten the game uh, ultimately to fit in 
TV time uh, and games into Windows is what's the uh, ultimate drive here. Um, we'll see about about this one. A lot of support again on this. I don't think we'll miss it that much, and it's easier to enjoy the experience thinking in terms of of NFL football and college football in same terms in this particular case. Now, this fourth one, not a lot of support as of right now, probably won't go through and is a lot to, to take in. Another running clock. Uh, the clock will continue to run after a incomplete pass once the ball has been spotted for play. The clock will continue to run after an incomplete pass. So the clock will continue to run when you run the ball, when you complete a pass inbounds, it would continue to run with an incomplete pass. It would continue to run theoretically if it uh, passed with the other rule after you gained a first down. So pretty much the clock would just be running all of the time unless you went out of bounds or we were in between possessions or change of possession pretty much. And this would cut a lot of plays out of the game. It would completely change how teams ran their offenses throughout games, and especially towards the end. It would make it more difficult for teams to come from behind. It would make it easier and less challenging for teams that were already ahead that try to run the ball to take time off the clock. Now you can throw two. It would change the dynamic of college football in general, certainly. So this one is certainly more controversial and uh, not one that seems like it'll pass, nor one that I think we really want to see right now. Now the first running clock rule, uh, the third one out of the four here, where it continues to run after picking up a first down once the ball is spotted, the similar to the NFL rule. Uh, it's estimated that that will only cut about eight plays out per game in 10 minutes. That uh, seems acceptable and not like the worst thing. It does seem a little crazy that we aren't just playing commercials side by side with field goals, which were hit at about a 97% rate last year. Or we could cut, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes per game out on challenges. That seems like the most obvious thing to take out. And one of the first things that a lot of folks suggest is why don't we put a timer on the officials in making a decision? I mean, we all watch the games on our television and are able to kind of make calls. And then it's the announcers, which sometimes are wrong. They're wrong sometimes, quite frankly. Sometimes we get the head official from a separate remote booth that comes in and gives his opinion as well. And it's completely different from what the announcers state or it's controversial in its own right, or it's completely different than what's ultimately ruled on the field. It just seems like if you're sitting at home in your subpar television sometimes, and you can make a call that all the officials watching in remote sites, as all these games are, can make a, a quick enough assessment to buzz into the field officials at each of these games and just say, hey, we're going to go with this ruling First down, not first down, catch, no catch, we can't make a determination, stick with this call, whatever, and move on, rather than multiple times every single game having to review uh, different spots, different uh, all kinds of things in the field. That seems like it'd be the most obvious to take out is extended replays. But that is not the case. We have the 
four rules that have been presented. Again, the three that are looking like right now, that would probably pass. No consecutive timeouts. A running clock rule similar to the NFL, where we will no longer just stop it on first downs. We're going to keep the clock running, except at the uh, two-minute mark. And on the rare chance you get a defensive penalty at the end of a first or third quarter with no time remaining on the clock, we're not going to play that play right there. We're just going to go ahead and head into the next quarter and play it then, which is, again, probably the one that's least likely to impact the game at all. If this other one comes up, this other clock running rule about the clock running after incompletions, that would really be, really be something else. And that would certainly make waves. You'd certainly hear about it someplace else other than this podcast is it would be all over uh, sports headlines everywhere. So you would hear about that long before you hear it on this podcast, probably. (laughs) But just to note, those are the rule changes we're looking at heading into the college football season for 2023 that look like they will go through to uh, shorten the game just a little bit there nothing too crazy i don't think in the long run just of note the running clock once you get a first down so just keep that in the back of your mind but i'll certainly do a recap podcast um, of the 2021 season uh, this summer as i did last year for 2020 and uh, a preseason both for myself Uh, And for you guys covering some of the rules, the conference realignments, the preseason, that kind of deal in a few months. Small conference tournaments are happening now. Major conference tournaments are happening next week for College Basketball Selection Show coming up, of course, followed by the tournament in about a week and a half. So I'll be discussing a lot of that. Super excited. NBA is winding down as well, the final uh, quarter there. So thanks for tuning in. We'll talk hoops much more coming up next week. Thank you.